I graduated from medical laboratory science program from Red River College and Brandon General Hospital in 1994. Um, after that, I attended Red River College and completed cross-training, the cross-training in x-ray, and that took me to my first job. Um, I moved to Churchill, Manitoba in 1995. Uh, this was the beginning of, of my career basically focused in Canada's north. Um, I've been in healthcare now for 21 years. 20 of them have been in, in the north. Uh, I moved into a management-focused role in diagnostic services in about 2006, and I have moved into a quality and risk management capacity where I am today. That's Natalie Campbell. Natalie is the Director of Quality, Safety, and Client Experience for the Northwest Territories Amalgamated Health Authority. And just like it sounds, that's a very senior position. Natalie is also part of a pretty prestigious group. She's a former president of the Canadian Society for Medical Laboratory Science. Natalie is reflecting back on her career progression from the bench into leadership. Compare her story with this one. I served at the bench level for about five years, and this was in the University of uh, University College in London, England, and um, that was an academic centre. And around about that time, um, I had come to Canada to reside permanently, and so in that window, um, I had done five years as a bench technologist. And when I first arrived in in Canada. I got my first job and my Canadian experience in a private laboratory within two weeks of arriving in Canada. And it's really interesting uh, because within two months, the owners of the private laboratory asked me to think about becoming the laboratory supervisor. And I was rather taken aback because it was quite a big challenge to uh, go down that path. But with the owner's support and encouragement, they felt very confident that I had what it would take to be successful in that role. So let's forward about three months later, this particular laboratory got bought out by Canadian Medical Laboratories, which at that time was the second largest uh, private laboratory in Ontario. And so I was suddenly on a fast track in a huge corporate organization, and uh, they then made me the laboratory manager within six months of being here. That was Vince DeMello. Vince is a former lab director, first at Mount Sinai Hospital, Toronto, then at Grand River Hospital and St. Mary's General Hospital in Kitchener-Waterloo. Vince retired from the lab in 2015, but hasn't quite been able to stay away. He continues to work as a consultant. Did you hear the similarities in their stories? Me neither. That's because the road to leadership, especially in the laboratory world, isn't exactly linear. There is no SOP for getting ahead. But that doesn't mean we're stuck wandering this road aimlessly. There are milestones and guides out there if we can just learn to identify them. So today, we're getting a crash course in the topography of the transition into leadership. I'm Kathy Bowers, and you're listening to The Objective Lens. Larry Steibel is a leadership educator and consultant. He's earned a master's in psychology from the University of Texas and a doctorate in organizational behavior. That one's from Harvard. He's also a licensed psychologist in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. 
So when Larry talks about leadership, he's looking at the subject from a variety of perspectives. When I spoke with Larry, I wanted to get his take on how to plan for a career shift into management. He suggested that we should start by asking a fundamental question. Are you sure this is what you want? Going into management is different. It's not more money. It's not just broader perspective. It's a different role. Instead of doing the work yourself, you have to get the work done by working with and through others. That's a different job. So are you, are you up for that? Yes, there may be more money. Yes, you may have a broader perspective, and that might be welcome after a few years on the bench. You might like that. And it's a, it's a different set of problems to solve than what you used to. So are you ready for that? Do you have to ask yourself that? Some people are, and some people are not. It's funny, but to be honest, I didn't consider this as a natural starting point. Maybe some of you are the same, but I kind of just thought of leadership as the next step in a successful career. The idea of it not being a desirable outcome is an interesting concept, and when I think about it, one that makes total sense. As Larry said, the role is different. So for some, that difference might be a welcome change and offer up new challenges to be conquered. For others, the change may take them away from aspects of the job they know and love. To help you decide if this change is right for you, Larry suggests you envision yourself at the twilight of your career and think about what a satisfying ending might look like. When you are finished with your career and you look back on your career in retirement, what was your, what was your impact? If, if you are comfortable in saying, I, I did every sample that I had, Add to the best of my ability, and um, I was proficient and competent, and that's my legacy, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. If your legacy is there was, there was discord, disharmony, and chaos, and I helped put together a team that worked and functioned, and I was very proud of what I did, that's a different legacy. I'm not saying one is better than the other, but it's a different legacy. What's the legacy you want to have when you retire? Larry touches on an important point here. Leadership is about people. It's not so much about what you have individually achieved, but what you and the group you work with are able to achieve. And so a shift in mindset needs to occur when you move into a management role. And that shift can be challenging. It's one of the many reasons new managers struggle. And new managers do struggle, often. There's something in, uh, it, was a, it was a book several years ago called The Peter Principle. And The Peter Principle is, says people are promoted to their level of incompetence. So what it means is you take your best surgeon in the hospital and make that person the head of surgery. Well, you've now lost a good surgeon and you've got a mediocre manager. Take your best teacher and make that person a principal. You've lost a good teacher and you've got a mediocre teacher. And so the, the question that you have to ask yourself in is, if you're a good bench chemist um, and they offer you a management role, do you accept it simply because it was offered? Is this the right thing? And you want to have a model for yourself about where you want to be five years. Does that involve management? So we've got a choice to make. 
Do we continue down the path of individual achievement? That career path does exist, moving up to more senior bench roles or into specialty areas. Or do we take the leap into leadership? This episode would be awfully short if we chose option A. So let's assume you are game for the change and let's tumble down the rabbit hole to see how far it goes. What's your dream job? Let's stay within the confines of the lab world for now. Not to say it isn't important to have other passion areas, it is, but this podcast isn't going to help you transition into being a running coach or an interior designer. So seriously, what's your dream job? More importantly, why? The question of why is often overlooked. As Larry alluded to earlier, many people move into leadership roles because the opportunity is simply there. Just because you can do something doesn't always mean you should. There's a wonderful song by Rodgers and Hammerstein in the, the show South Pacific, and one of the characters says, you got to have a dream. If you don't have a dream, how are you going to make a dream come true? And a lot of people go into management because it's offered to them. A lot of people go into management because they think they can make more money, but they don't have a vision for how this fits into their lives. I think it's important to have a role model and then say, I want to be like her. Now what do I need to to do to be like her? Role models are all around us. And I introduced two good ones at the top of this episode. So let's go back to Natalie for a minute. I wanted to understand how much intentionality was part of Natalie's career progression. Did opportunities simply present themselves and she was wise enough to jump at them? Or did she seek out opportunities that would help her to get where she wanted to go? Here's what she had to say. I would say yes at, uh, at one point that I have intentionally visioned um, certain things that I would like to achieve in my career. Um, and certainly the CSMLS, sitting on the CSMLS Board of Directors was one of them. Um, my, my current position. And then after, as, as, things, as I've achieved certain things, I would move to get towards new goal setting. And my master's was certainly one of those that I had targeted was once I, I had achieved and when, once I had achieved my, or complete, I guess, my board time and it freed up a bit more of my personal time that I would seek to um, complete more formal education that would complement my level of experience. For Natalie, it seems having a vision and articulating in some way was an important planning tool. This vision or career plan can take many forms. It can be as simple as mapping out a few milestones on a piece of paper or on your phone. If you're more of a visual person, a vision board might be a helpful tool. Natalie shared with me that she has a vision board. It was actually in front of her when we were speaking. I won't share what she has on that board. That seems like an intimate thing to divulge. But for her, it was a way to keep her goals present in her life. Plans that get written down all too often get put up on a shelf somewhere, never to be seen again. But a vision board, kept in sight, can keep you thinking about your plan and visualizing yourself achieving that plan. Once you've created a plan, it is equally important to keep evolving it. The opportunities you need to look out for will change over time as you progress in your journey. 
So as I moved into lab management, I expanded my knowledge more around effective quality control programming. But then as I, as I looked to move into more leadership, I looked at more communication skills, and that's something that I actively look to develop. Um, organizational behavior is something that has always fascinated me and knowing myself and knowing how to use my own communication style to motivate others is, um, I think is key. And this is, this is something that I would recommend to anybody moving into leadership. Call it a hunch, but Vince doesn't strike me as a vision board type of guy. But he is a meticulous planner, strategic thinker, and a details kind of guy. He is a lab tech after all. When Vince coaches younger professionals, he recommends a very analytical approach to career planning, which he agrees is incredibly important. I always encourage people to do what I call the SWOT analysis. What that means is you got to know your strengths, you got to know your weaknesses, you got to know what the opportunities are either within the environment you're in or outside, and you got to know what the threats are to your career either inside or outside. Once you've done that, then you know what your blind spots are. Once you know your blind spots and you've been honest with yourself, then you can start to work on a plan as to how you're going to get from A to B. So if your plan as an individual is to work the bench for five years, become a supervisor within six years, become a lab director within eight to ten years, show me your plan, how you're going to get there. For Vince, knowing an individual had a career plan was important for him in order to invest his own time and energy into coaching them. It showed commitment. And with that commitment in place, he knows his investment will be well worth it. Vince looked at coaching and mentoring not as some sort of benevolent nicety, but as part of his job. He saw it as his duty to do it, and he set that same expectation for all his managers and supervisors. In his capacity as a coach and mentor, Vince has seen many lab professionals make the transition from the bench to leadership. He has seen that transition go smoothly, and he has seen it go, well, not so smoothly. As I mentioned earlier, plenty of new managers struggle, and one reason this happens is that the skill set that makes for a successful bench tech isn't the same skill set that makes for a successful leader. The bench tech has a very high level of competence and skills with technical knowledge, technical problem solving, quality control, quality management systems. These are foundational elements for leadership as well. I would categorize it slightly differently. Um, As a bench tech, 90% of your skill set is what I call hard skills, technical competence, technical knowledge, expertise, clinical knowledge. When you become a leader, it reverses. 90% of your skill set is what I call soft skills. So this is where interpersonal conflict resolution good communication skills, both verbal and written, being able to have a crucial conversation with whatever category of staff you have to deal with, be it your, your, um, your subordinate, your manager, your executive, you got to have that ability to have that conversation in, in a candid manner. This is the Peter Principle in action. 
You get promoted because of one set of skills, but success at the next level requires something completely different. It almost seems unfair. Before I took on a leadership capacity, I really had no exposure to budgeting, to variance reporting, to funding submissions, um, basically none at all. When I moved into the management capacity, I moved in on an acting capacity first, so I was replacing somebody temporarily. um, And all of a sudden, I was responsible for at least reviewing and commenting on variance reports um, so that was challenging for me because I, I didn't, you know, so I needed assistance and I had a great financial management manager within the organization at the time who assisted me in interpreting the variance report and helping me understand what that meant and what it looked like and what percentage of the year we were at, um, you know, and so it really assisted me in in being able to make some sense and moving into the positions more frequently, I am responsible for actually writing the budget and, um, and monitoring the variance and, you know, writing funding submissions for new equipment or necessary items within the organization, forced growth submissions, this type of thing to um, substantiate changes within the department's uh, spending. Natalie's experience when it comes to finances isn't unique at all. Vince also pointed out that gap in experience and knowledge around financial management. With newly appointed managers, I have found the biggest shortage of competency skills is with financial management, and that's understandably so. If you were a charge tech or you were a senior and you were promoted to manager of that section, the likelihood of you being involved with financial planning, financial management is slim to nil. So if you're considering moving into a leadership position at some point, this definitely seems to be an area of professional development you may want to target. But the challenges don't stop there. I'll let Vince explain further. I find that managers, newly appointed managers, have a very tough time delegating effectively. They're in a new responsibility area. They find it hard to let go. So they may have come with a great deal of technical expertise. For the first six months, they are having a struggle. How do I let go my technical competence and my expertise and my credibility with my peers for something that I'm not so comfortable with. So that's a struggle too. Learning effective delegation is challenging, but it can be even more difficult if you are hired from within the organization. Individuals who were your friends and peers one day are now reporting to you, and that can be a little jarring. I mean, it just it does change your work dyma- dynamic a little bit. Uh, sometimes there's difficult decisions that have to be made, and it's hard to keep everybody happy. Uh, so this change can be a bit difficult to manage, but I think as long as you remain true to the organizational vision, I think as long as you can communicate the the, the um, reasons for decisions um, but, and, and show that your actions are aligning with the vision and mission of the organization, then I think the transition would be smoother. The transition may not be easy, but people do it, and many do it very successfully. So what separates those who are successful from those who aren't? I pose this question to Vince. After years of working with young leaders and seeing individuals who have thrived, Vince has honed in on a certain set of skills, and he uses those skills as a matrix to identify future leaders. So in in no particular order, I think it's critical that... um the 
candidate have a pretty good competence with communications, both verbal and written, combined with interpersonal skills, because the human resources management requirement in any leadership role is pretty uh, intense and occurs more regularly than one hopes for because of the different personalities involved in any laboratory. On top of that, it's important that uh, potential leaders have a skill set and some technical competence that stands them out in terms of expertise from the rest of their peers. And from that, I would add there's a few attributes that I look for, and I'm sure others do as well, when you're looking at identifying leadership for the future. So I'll just mention them in no particular order again. So there's a need for the candidate to have a high level of self-confidence, to demonstrate their their abilities to persevere through adversity. They've got to have a flexible mindset and be open to change. They've got to be firm, fair, and highly ethical. They also have to have some values and principles that align with the organization that they're working with. And I always say that a good leader has a high level of empathy for their workers, their supervisors, and whoever they interact with, because Healthcare is about caring for others. So the level of empathy that you display is a great asset when you are being identified as a leader. So there are definitely certain skills or competencies that you would need to develop before or during the transition in order to be successful. But leadership is about more than just skills. Vince explains further. It is my belief that leaders can only be leaders if they have followers who embrace and support their vision and their priorities in whatever role they're in. So with that in mind, leaders need to quickly earn the trust and credibility of their support staff in order to motivate them to achieve whatever goals or priorities they have. Trust. You can't get that from a course, and you can't get that from a book. You have to earn it. And you earn it through your actions, particularly your actions when things aren't going so smoothly. It's easy to live your values when the waters are smooth, but they only really matter if you live them when the waters are rough. That's when they are tested, and that's when leaders are truly judged. Good leaders take full responsibility for their actions. And by so doing, they acknowledge, yes, that was not a good decision, And it won't happen again because I have a different tactic for dealing with it. As opposed to someone who always has an issue where they can blame someone and shame someone because it was never their fault. So that is something that needs to be be identified and segregated because if it's happening repeatedly, that's a flag. I'm a fairly direct communication style, and I also I also speak very quickly, and I can be a, a bit loud at times, <laughs> and so I think that that can be intimidating to people that don't necessarily have the same communication style that I have, so I have to be cognizant of how I speak to people so that I don't intimidate them or scare them off. That's Natalie describing her own leadership style. 
having worked with her in the past, I can tell you she's pretty bang on. The fact that she can describe herself so accurately is impressive. What's even more impressive is that she not only is aware of her own behavior, but also how that behavior is seen in the eyes of others. I asked her how important this ability to self-reflect was to her professional development. Hugely important. And I can even say, write down, like I started my Master's of Arts in Leadership um, with a health specialization last September. And that first term in that course was very much spent on knowing yourself, knowing your style, and spending time to reflect on how you address the situation to learn would there have been a better way. Um, and I think that's hugely important. Um, maintaining a, a learning journal is something that they have, have talked to us about through my master's learning journey. And I think it's very, very important to sit down and say, okay, this is what happened. This is how it made me feel. Um, how can I make myself better as a result of this or how could I have changed the outcome to improve if I had have managed my own self differently? Some people just have this skill. It's seemingly innate. They question and analyze everything. And I mean everything. Others do not. They seem to float through their day oblivious to the effect they have in the world around them, either positive or negative. Regardless of your natural level of self-awareness, everyone can practice the art of self-reflection. One tool Natalie uses is journaling. I certainly journal about the actual experience. So if something happened that was difficult or challenging, I journal about that actual experience. Um, currently, I am able. I have a lot of leadership resources at my fingertips with my readings and the articles that are. Um, that are assigned to us. So I'm able to relate that to um, best practice or, you know, some, some types of communicative tools that have been recommended. So I'm able to say, okay, if I, next time I could, you know, focus on these five principles or um, there's different frameworks. So leadership can be framed from different perspectives. I have, um, I have kind of like a, a natural comfortable state, but I'm able to, as you begin to get, to know your own communication styles and to know those of others, I'm able to flex that between. Um, I think just being very aware of my own style and, um, and how I can approach that from a different leadership framework. So being able to reflect that will also be able to say, I, oh, you know, I, I could have used this approach to manage that differently. Journaling can be a helpful exercise in a number of ways. It can help you process previous events, Clarify your own thought process. Become more aware of your feelings and responses to certain situations and record significant lessons learned. Journaling is like taking notes from the classroom of life. And that's important because you never know when you'll be faced with the next pop quiz. If I could have started this reflective practice earlier, I think I would be a better all-around person and professional today if I had have started it earlier. I think it's key to to look at your your own assumptions and beliefs and how that contributes to how you act and lead. Um, and I think overall you will learn something about yourself if you take some time to say, why did I do that? What what made me look at things that way? What made me respond to things that way?
So you've decided that a move into leadership is right for you, and you've got a pretty good reason why. You've constructed your vision board and hung it in a highly visible place. You've identified the skills you need in order to be successful, compared them to the skills you've got, and created a plan on how to address the gaps. You're all set, right? Now you just need to be noticed. I asked both Natalie and Vince what advice they would give a young professional who wanted to signal they had what it takes to be a good leader. Here's what they had to say. I think that you should look for ways to, um, you know, take initiative within the lab to develop yourself within, uh, you know, so that you can manage additional tasks right within the department, um, you know, potentially look for acting capacity. So if somebody goes away, is there a way that you can develop yourself so that you're able to backfill in their absence, take on additional abilities? I think it's key to um, look for ways to involve yourself outside the lab. So can you, can you demonstrate leadership by taking on committee responsibilities, um, infection control is an option, occupational health and safety. So is there a way you can develop leadership within the organization? First of all, just about in every department, in any organization, in any, and I'll say hospital, but it applies to a private laboratory as well, there is always a need for committee work. All right. Committee work is sometimes means you have to be part of the team to help problem solve something or improve something. And that is an opportunity to do something more than just your bench work. You're going to be interacting with other people, possibly a facilitator, to try and achieve an outcome that is the purpose of the committee. That is a great stepping stone to identify your talent because you learn. Once you're on that committee, it's how you conduct yourself. The professional demeanor is very apparent in group settings. If you come across as being positive, are comfortable with change, can take the rough with the smooth, you are self-identifying your talent. So that's number one. The second thing is getting onto multidisciplinary committees where you suddenly have to interact with a physician, an executive, a couple of nurses, a respiratory tech, whatever. Everyone brings a different set of skill sets to that multidisciplinary committee. You as a lab representative are bringing a specific skill. Sell yourself and your skill. That is a stepping stone to building your career. If this seems like a transition you want to make, I hope this episode has given you some ideas of how to approach it. But I think there is still one issue we haven't addressed yet, and I want to touch on it before we wrap up. Many organizations have cut back on educational funding. When budgets get squeezed, it's one of the first things to go. In addition, succession planning isn't a strength of most organizations. And so even if you've done your homework and built a plan, it may feel hard to achieve without some organizational support. Vince touched on this subject during our conversation, and he got quite animated. At one point, he even hit the microphone while he was talking. That's because he's passionate about grooming talented professionals into leaders, and he sees the budget cuts and restrictions on educational time as both short-sighted and detrimental to the profession as a whole. 
I asked him what a young professional is to do if they are stuck in this type of environment. And Vince gave me a pretty direct answer. For truly talented people who are now frustrated because they do not have supporting organizations, my comment to them would be, take responsibility for your future. You have a choice. Build your skill set. And if you have to leave this organization, find an organization where they value the fact that education is key and a long-term uh, enabler as opposed to a short-term barrier. Go out and find that organization. At the end of the day, this is your career. It's your future. If you know what you want, go make it happen. The Objective Lens is written and produced by Michael Grant and myself, Kathy Bowers, and is the official podcast of the Canadian Society for Medical Laboratory Science. Editing and technical assistance by Joel Tresini. Administrative support by Ridmilla Minor. For other episodes, supplemental content, and bonus material, visit our website at podcast.csmls.org. If you're in the medical laboratory field, you'll want to go to the website to find a link to a short quiz. By completing the quiz, you will earn a certificate verifying professional development hours for listening to this episode. We'd love to hear from you. Come chat with us on Twitter, at CSMLS, or on Facebook. You can find us at facebook.com slash CSMLS.